And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they teach and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily vision, provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, and Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belshazzar, and Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. But God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink, but why should he see your face, faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. Then Daniel said to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he uh, consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat of the portion of the king's meat. All right. It's a great story in the Bible, great portion of scripture. I, I love the book of Daniel and a lot of that comes probably because whenever I was a senior in high school, we had Bible quizzing in our church, and I, one of the books that we studied was the book of Daniel. So a lot of these stories, they, they uh, became a part of me, and so every once in a while I can quote, requote one of those scriptures that I memorized from a long time ago. But uh, how many of you ever been on a, a Daniel's fast? Have ever been on a Daniel's fast? Two people. Or a Daniel's diet. Um, if you ever wonder where that came from, it came from this story, from this passage of Scripture. And I know there's a lot of variations of the Daniel diet, the Daniel fast. There's, um, you know, from what I understand, it's, you know, you don't eat any meat or dairy products. You can just eat, like, whole food, grains and vegetables and salads and things like that. And uh, we did a Daniel fast a number of years ago, my wife and I, we did it actually for 10 days like they did here in this story. And uh, I lost 10 pounds, at least 10 pounds. Um, you know, it doesn't last when you do it that way, but uh, I did lose about 10 pounds doing that Daniel fast. Um, so when I, when I was reading this lesson and, and I knew I was going to be teaching on this, I thought, well, I'm going to do another Daniel fast. No, I, I actually, I, I started this morning just after I finished my coffee and... Uh, as soon as church is over, I'm going to end it, and uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, there's uh, there's all kinds of stuff when it comes to fasting. Um, I, 
got an app on my phone called a Zero app that uh, Sister Christy told me about, and you know you can track your fasting if you do intermittent fasting and different things like that. But uh, I, I got to looking, and there's all kinds of diet plans out there, all kinds of diet fads. When people, um, you know, the first year they set goals and they go on a diet. There's um, there's keto diet. There's Mediterranean. I've never tried that one. South Beach, Atkins. What what are what are some of the diets you've heard of? Whole food, plant based. Interesting. Whole food. That's that sounds like one I want to stay away from. A, a whole food. What are what are what's another diet you've heard of? Weight Watchers. What Atkins? What do you say, Brother Jerry? Yeah, yeah. There you go. Face. Seafood, yeah, I know where that one is. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that someday somebody will come up with a bluebell diet, a bluebell ice cream diet. I would, I would be all over that. So, um, there's, oh, I don't know. There's just a whole number of diets. I, Brother Porter, Jeremy Porter, he he said the other day. He said he was on two diets because he wasn't getting enough food from just one diet, so he went on two diets. <laughs> Um, but I would guess that there are probably millions of people that go on a diet every year um, to slim down or to get healthy or whatever reason they choose. They they change their diet. And uh, when we read through these scriptures here, um, you know, this story talks about Daniel and his companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, changing their diet. And obviously they didn't change their diet so they could get skinny or because so they could get healthier. And I think that what we read in that story is one of the main concerns with Daniel is that he wasn't concerned about his health in this situation. He was concerned about obeying and, and pleasing the Lord in this. And because years earlier, the Lord had given the law to Moses and said that um, these are the restrictions, the dietary restrictions, and this is what you can eat, this is what you can't eat. And he gave that law, and a lot of that, or part of that anyway, was to help keep them healthy, especially like when they traveled 40 years in the wilderness. God gave them these restrictions, and, and now Daniel finds himself in Babylon, and he's being offered meat that came from the king and wine that came from the king, and he has to make this decision, do I eat the meat, or do I not? Do I drink the wine that the king has given me? And for Daniel to participate in this, this diet plan that's being offered to him would mean that he would have to compromise what he had been taught. He had had to compromise his convictions or his commitment that he had made to the Lord. And so, uh, you know, it's like he's got this choice. Do I, do I take a stand at this time in my life? Do I, do I trust God with this circumstance, with this situation? Or do I adopt the idea that it really doesn't matter what I eat as a child of God, that it really doesn't matter that I can just go along with the Babylonians? And so Daniel found himself in a situation where he had to make a choice. So Daniel, and we know him as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but Daniel and his three companions, they trusted God. And, uh, you know, they, they went to Ashpenaz and Melzar and worked out a, a, a situation where they could eat a different diet, but they trusted God to take care of them in this situation. They believed God was going to take care of them. And Daniel didn't compromise, and Daniel didn't give up his convictions or his commitment to the Lord. He stood firm, and he trusted the Lord. And 
we we read here in this this account in this story that whenever um, whenever Daniel went to Ashpenaz and Melzar and and asked them if they could have a different diet that so they would not defile themselves with the king's meat or the drink that the wine the wine that the king did drink. They said in verse number 10 that the prince of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. And so they were afraid um, if, if they didn't give Daniel and these companions the mead and the wine, they were afraid that they themselves would be killed. They were afraid of, for their own life, Melzar and Ashpenaz. Um, but... They made the deal. God brought them in tender, into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. They made the deal. So instead of eating the, the mead and instead of drinking the wine, they got pulse to eat. They got vegetables to eat and water to drink. And after 10 days of eating vegetables and drinking water, instead of coming out looking gaunt and hungry and deprived, they came out looking fairer and fatter. In the flesh, that's what it says. They, they appeared fairer and fatter in the flesh than all the children that did eat the portion of the king's meat. And you know that uh, when we trust God with tests and situations, when we trust the Lord with things like this, and we're going to be tested, our faith is going to be tried. Um, it's a test. Am I going to compromise my convictions? Am I going to let go of my commitment to the Lord? Am I going to adapt and adopt to the culture of the Babylonians and the world? Do I, do I have to go the direction of the world, or do I take a stand? And when we're tested and we have to you know, take a stand and trust the Lord, God's going to see us through those times. God will help us through those times. And that's what Daniel and his companions found out, that when we choose to stand for the Lord, the Lord's going to help us, and the Lord's going to stand with us when we trust Him, even in the difficult situations. Sometimes we hear the phrase, they have a made-up mind. Their mind is made up. You can't change their mind. They're convinced. My mind is convinced. I'm convinced in my mind. You can't. I'm hard-headed. Sometimes we hear things like that. But but I would say to us today that that having a made-up mind, it's important, especially when you're talking about living for God, doing a work for God. We need a made-up mind. Um, if we're going to make right decisions, we need to know what we know. It's important to know what we know. Uh, we're going to make the right call, go the right direction, to be fully persuaded. But, you know, sometimes even people who have a made-up mind, sometimes they struggle with insecurities. Sometimes people that know what they know, they still deal with fears or anxieties or um, or these insecurities that come when they're faced with difficult decisions. And I think that sometimes why people struggle, even though they know what's right, even though people know what is the truth and what they're supposed to do, I think sometimes there's a struggle within people because of what's going on in their heart. You know, if you, if you think about physically speaking, there's just a few inches between your brain and your heart. But there's this, this interesting relationship between our brains and our hearts. And our, and our mind and our heart, they're working together. You ever thought about that? Your brain and your physical heart, they're working together because your brain is sending impulses to your heart. Say, keep pumping blood. You've got to keep, keep pumping the blood. And so our heart keeps pumping blood, and in return, 
the heart pumps blood and oxygen to our brain that keeps our brain alive. And so there, I think they call it a symbiotic relationship between your, you know, when one species relies on another species, they, they coexist and rely on each other to continue to exist. It's kind of like that with your heart and your mind. Your mind is relying on your heart and your heart's reminding on your, or your, yeah, your heart's reminding on your uh, mind to, to continue to exist, but on a different level. Just stay with me for a second. On a different level, you have your mind that's engaged in a walk with the Lord and a relationship with God. Our mind, we know what's true. We know what's right. We know what we've been taught. But sometimes there's a discrepancy between what's going on in our heart. Sometimes we know in our mind what's pleasing to God. But our heart is in disagreement. Our heart is not on board. And sometimes our spiritual heart needs an adjustment so that it gets in agreement with our spiritual mind. So So we have knowledge. We have knowledge and understanding. We know what we've been taught. We know what's truth. We know what God desires and what God expects. It's in, our, it's, in our, it's in our mind. We know what the Scripture says. But sometimes our heart is on a different track. And it starts following a different road. And, and there's this, this pulling. There's this there's struggle, this tension within, the, within us, this inner turmoil, if you will. And, you know, there, there's a difference in just knowing about God and actually walking with God, and knowing God, and falling in love with God. There's a difference in just knowing the truth, and loving the truth. And so there has to be this agreement between what's going on up here in our minds, and what's happening inside of our hearts. Daniel, it says in verse number 8, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So the goal is to get our heart and our mind working together in our relationship with the Lord. And I have found, I have I've met people, I know people, they love the God, they love the Lord. There is no question they love the Lord. But they make some bad decisions. And part of that is that they just don't know. They, they haven't been taught or they haven't gotten into the word of the Lord. They have a walk with the Lord. They, they love God. They love to worship the Lord. But sometimes when it comes to making some choices in life, they're, just, they're off track. They're going the wrong direction. And it's because they don't know what they need to know yet. Maybe they've never been taught. And so the opposite is true too. Some people been raised in truth. Some people know Acts 2.38. They know about holiness. They know about walking with the Lord. But it never gets in their heart. They never learn to love, to have a relationship with the Lord. And and so as a result, there's this, this separation. And people get off track sometimes when there's that disagreement between their heart and in their mind. Praise the Lord. Um, this this story, as I mentioned, it's a great story in the, in the scripture, and it's as far as as far as the Bible as a whole, this is kind of taking place toward the end, ending years of the Old Testament, and um, you can read about it in Second Chronicles, but 
God's people, what was left of the nation of Israel, those two tribes that were left in the south, they had chosen not to serve the Lord. They had chosen that they were not going to um, uh, stay in relationship with the Lord. But the Lord kept sending prophets to his people. God kept sending prophets like Jeremiah and uh, the last one of the, I think it might even be the last chapter of Second Chronicles. It says that God would send his prophets, but they mocked the messengers of God till there was no remedy. God kept trying to reach for them. He kept sending them a preacher, kept sending them somebody to preach to them and tell them, repent, get right, the time's coming. But God's people just kind of continued to drift and kept moving further and further away. But over on the side, if over kind of off on the side, there was a group of people called the Babylonians. God was working with Nebuchadnezzar, and he began to get these people ready for what he was going to do in in the land of Israel. And so this nation began to rise to power, the Babylonians, and they defeated the Assyrians. The Assyrians for a long time had a, a, a huge empire, and the Babylonians put down the Assyrians. And when, then later, when the Egyptians tried to rise and push back against them, God or uh, the Babylonians, they, they stopped the Egyptians. And so now Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians rise to power. And, and you, know, you read this in, in the scripture, and it's not on your paper, but the, the first verse of Daniel chapter 1 says that it was the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim that the king of Judah, the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, that the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And so Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of the Babylonians, they come in, to Jerusalem. God allows it to happen. They come in and they overtake what's left of the land of Israel. They defeat the city. They ransack the city, uh, tear down the wall around Jerusalem and just completely just desecrate everything. And in the midst, they go into the temple and they gather up all these golden vessels and silver vessels and they pick them up and they carry them back to Babylon. Uh, But God allowed that to happen. God orchestrated that and brought judgment upon his people because they would not follow him. And so this is the beginning of a great exile of the nation of Judah, the people of Israel. Many of the people of Israel um, are carried off. They lose their independence. There's no more temple. There's no more wall around the city of Jerusalem. The sacred vessels are taken back to Babylon. And in the midst of all this going on, Nebuchadnezzar, he gathers up a whole group of young men. Don't know how many, we're not told how many. But Nebuchadnezzar gathers up this whole group of young men. And he takes them back to Babylon. That's how Daniel ends up in Babylon. That's how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah, that's how they ended up back in that land, that foreign land. So Nebuchadnezzar takes the most promising of young men. It said there in, in verse 4 that we read, Children in whom was no blemish, well favored. They were skillful in wisdom, cunning in knowledge, understanding science, such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace. This was the cream of the crop. And the only names that we know are the ones that are listed right here in this, this chapter of this group. It was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But what we find is that when this began to take place, 
that Nebuchadnezzar began to change their names. I thought this was something that he changed their name. He changed Daniel's name to Belteshazzar. And then he changed Hananiah's name. He changed it to Shadrach. And Mishael, his name was changed to Meshach. And Azariah, his name was changed to Abednego. Now, that was on purpose. They were taking, he, Nebuchadnezzar was taking their identity away as a child of God. And he was altering it so that it was now associated with Babylon and now associated with the gods of the Babylonians. That was, that was all a part of his plan. One commentator said, because all four bore names that honored Yahweh, the God of Israel, their names were changed. And so Babylon began this systematic program to begin to change the young men that had come out of Judah, out of Israel. This man, Ashpenaz, that's mentioned, verse number three, Ashpenaz, he was charged. He was the one who was in charge of teaching all these young Hebrews the language and learning about the ways of the Babylonians. And he was going to train them. I mean, you think about this. He was going to take this whole group and just change everything about them. He was going to brainwash them, completely alter their understanding of things, even teach them the, lung of the, the, lung, the tongue of the Chaldeans so that they began to talk the language of Babylon. And a part of that was that they were to be assigned a different diet, different kind of food, different uh, drink, you know, food that no doubt had been offered to idols, sacrificed and offered to idols. This, you know, this, this was quite an extensive training program. But I got to thinking about this and, and, and how interesting it is to see what's happening in our generation, in our day. That Babylon is still working to change the identity, especially of our young people. They are working, the world is working so hard to take children of God and teach them the ways, give them the identity of the world, get them to talk the language of the world, make them look like the world, make them eat like the world and drink, just, just, completely altered them, and so they no longer have the identity of being a child of God, but now they look and act and breathe and behave just like a Babylonian or somebody in the world. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Satan is the God of this world. and He's working hard, whether we realize it or not, he is working hard to change, to indoctrinate the, the young, the youthful generation that's coming up. He's working hard to, to get into their hearts and get in their minds and make them think like, like the rest of the generation that's around them. You know, where, 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 where do you think that battleground is happening? Where do you think that battleground for the, the hearts and the minds of our young people is taking place? Where do you think that's happening? Schools, universities, what, did I hear media? Yeah, absolutely, media, um, social media, entertainment industry, music. It's, that's, that's why it's, it's so vital for people of God to pay attention to what they're watching and what they're listening to and where they're allowing their minds to be influenced. Because... Because there is a systematic, there's a systematic 
program going on to indoctrinate and pull children and young people into the way and thinking it's not any accident that the television programming promotes what it does. Whether it's homosexuality or promiscuous sins, you know that it's still a sin to have premarital sex? But it's, it's like a free-for-all on television and, and entertainment media. But see, when you, when you watch that stuff all the time and you watch that garbage that's, that's put out there, or you listen to the music, a lot of the music that promotes immoral relationships and extramarital affairs and adultery, you listen to that, it, it like wears down people and it, they become desensitized to that. And it's like, well, it's just, another, it's just the world we live in. I guess we'll just adopt and go the way the world. No, 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 no. That's not it at all. The idea is to stand like Daniel in the midst of a generation that's, that's pulling and, and are, you know, and it, it happens and uh, we've got to fight that battle. Fight it in our homes. Take a stand. The Bible says, Ephesians chapter 6, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand, stand therefore. And so I would say we need, a, we need more than just a head knowledge. Our youth need more than just a head knowledge, but they need a heart change. We need something in our hearts today. I want it to get deep into our hearts, deep into our lives. Praise the Lord. And, you know, you get your head and you get your heart in agreement. It's hard to get off track then. When you get it deep in your, deep down into your spirit and you say, you know what, I love God enough that I'm not going to wear that. I'm not going to walk that way. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to watch that. I love God enough that I want to please the Lord in every aspect of my life. And you look at Daniel and it says, Daniel purposed in his heart. That he would not defile himself. Daniel already knew the law. He was raised in the, the ways of the law. Raised around Moses' law. But there was something in his heart. God, get it in my heart today. God, help me to get it in my heart today. Praise the Lord. And one of the things that I love about Daniel is his spirit, his attitude. We don't read here in, about Daniel. We don't read that Daniel got ugly or obstinate when it came to his attitude. When he, when he had to take a stand, it wasn't like he just he blew up. He didn't, it wasn't like Daniel just uh, threw a fit or, or got in Ashpenaz's face and said, Bless God, there's no way I'm going to eat that meat or drink that drink. Daniel didn't do that. You don't have to get ugly. You don't have to get obnoxious to take a stand. Now, I, I know that, that scripture in the Bible that says, um, I was thinking about this morning, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And sometimes people take that scripture out of context and they say, you know, they've they got to you know, be that way. But I don't think that's what that means. I think, I think you can take a stand and still be a Christian. I think we can take a stand and still love people. But Daniel, it's very interesting that Daniel, he took a stand, but God was working also, and it says in verse 9 that God brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. 
I love that he kept the right attitude. I love that he kept a great spirit. And the key to him being able to take a stand was that he purposed in his heart. Daniel understood that there are some things that are not worth giving up. There are some things that are not worth compromising. It doesn't matter what everybody else says. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. It doesn't matter if you want the favor of the Babylonians. There are some things that are just not worth giving up on. Praise the Lord. And so his decision, it was a mental one for sure, but it aligned with the values of his heart. I think it's important that we have a good attitude. Praise the Lord. And so Daniel found favor with the prince of the eunuchs, respectfully requested a different diet, and God took care of him. God helped him through that situation. And I think it's important this morning that we as people of God, that we purpose in our hearts that we're going to remain separate and we're going to remain holy. That we get it in our hearts that, you know what, whatever direction the world goes, we're still going to be a holy people and we're still going to be a separated people. And that separation and holiness doesn't just happen. It, it, there's a choice involved. You know, we get, we're holy because we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We're holy because the Holy Spirit is in us. But the Bible doesn't teach us just to receive the Holy Ghost and everything is fine. But the Bible teaches us you have to pursue holiness. And to pursue something, you have to have some purpose about it. And so here, Paul, Paul tells us that, that we ought to cleanse ourselves. This is 2 Corinthians 7.1. He says that we ought to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Praise the Lord. So we want to pursue holiness. We want to have a life of holiness, take a stand and, and live right in our generation, bring our heart and our head into agreement. Um, and so after this 10-day period, after all this 10-day period finalized, Daniel and his companions, they walk out in front of Ashpenaz and Melzar and whoever was there. All they had been eating were those vegetables and drinking that water. Um, wouldn't, wouldn't that be something that uh, a, a diet like that would be that easy? I mean, it's kind of really, it's kind of hard for me to understand uh, Daniel walking out after 10 days and he's fair and fatter. But really, I don't want to get sidetracked here, but the older I get, the more I understand how it is to be fair and fatter in the flesh. And you try to diet and you try to do those things, but I just but Daniel and his friends, they were blessed by the Lord. That's what it comes down to. God blessed them. God was with them. He rewarded their faith. He rewarded their determination that they were not going to defile themselves. And so God blessed that man, Daniel. God kept his hand upon him. Praise the Lord. And you know, you think about the food that they had the opportunity to eat. Daniel and his companions, they had an opportunity to eat the best steak. The best steak. It's Sunday morning, but I'm going to talk about food. They had the opportunity to eat the best steak. And probably, I never drunk wine before, but probably it was the best wine. I mean, this came from the king's table. This wasn't just some old cheap, marbly, fatty, gristly cut of meat. This would have been the best of the best. They had an opportunity to eat the best. I get to eat what the king eats. 
I get to, I get to be a part of, of this, this spread on the table that the king would eat from. But you know, sometimes the best that the world has to offer, it doesn't work for a child of God. Sometimes people, sometimes people get mixed up and they think, man, if, if I could just have this opportunity in life, this, I, I would be accepted by the world. I'm going to tell you the best thing that the world has to offer is probably the worst for a child of God. There's, there's, an, there's two different value systems going on there. Daniel said, you know what? I'd, I'd probably love to have that piece of steak, that wonderful piece of meat, but I just can't defile myself. And so he committed himself, and God honored that commitment. And he allowed their appearances to surpass the appearance of those who followed the king's diet. And you know what? God exalted Daniel. He exalted Daniel because of his commitment and also those of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Praise the Lord. You know that... I've got to wrap up here in the next few minutes. But you know, what, you know what's a shame? Is when a child of God gives up their convictions and their commitment. And they, 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 they might think that it's a wonderful thing and... But what it is, is it's a reproach to the church. It's a reproach to God. When somebody says, you know what, I'm not going to believe this anymore. I'm not going to follow this anymore. And they make a mockery of what God is all about and, and God's word. Um, it's kind of a shame. But when somebody like Daniel says, you know what, I'm going to stand. You know, I don't want to defile myself. Uh, I'm going to take a stand for what I know is right. I love God. They take a stand for what they, that life right there, that life brings glory to God. And, he, and, and people in the world, they even sit up and they take notice. That person loves God. That person has a walk with the Lord. That person, they, they have a commitment to the Lord. And, and their life then reflects and their life then brings glory to the Lord. You know, holiness and separation, all that, that's, that's about being separated from the Lord, but it's also about being separated unto God. It's not just about rules and regulations that say, I can't do this, or I can't go here, or I have to do this. It's about having a relationship with the Lord. And when people live their life with commitment and conviction and consecration, the world sits up and takes notice, and they recognize that in a person, that they love the Lord and they honor the Lord with their life. I've, I've watched some... I've watched some uh, music, apostolic music, on YouTube sometimes. And uh, sometimes I find myself reading the comments below. And you know what I notice about some of those? Sometimes people say, those, those people are modest. Those people, look, 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 they're, they're, they're not all showy. And I'm just paraphrasing what they're saying, some of these comments. But people recognize that there's some... There's something special about anointed, godly worship. People who don't feel like they have to put on a show or, or dress themselves up to attract attention. And people recognize that, that modest and that appearance, that God is glorified through all that. Praise the Lord. The word separate, the word separate means to set off by boundary. It means to limit, to exclude, or to divide, to sever, to mark off by boundaries 
the concept of separation is throughout the scripture. And the concept of separation has to do with, uh, it's, like, it's like fine dishes. And I'll wrap up here because my time's up. But we have some dishes at our house, and most of the time when we eat at home anymore, my wife pulls out the blue plates, blue plate specials. So we eat off the blue plate, courier and eyes, right? We eat off the courier and eyes plates most all the time anymore. But every once in a while when somebody comes over, we have company, she'll go with the green dishes. Put the blue one, leave the blue ones in the, in the cabinet, and she pulls out the, they are green, right? I have to make sure. But she pulls out the, the Charles Dickens, the Curiosity Shop. Charles Dickens wrote this story called The Curiosity. So she's got these dishes that she found. And so she pulls out the Curiosity Shop dishes. But those dishes are not for every day. Those dishes are reserved for special times when maybe the kids get to come home or maybe when somebody comes over to eat. So they're set apart for a special use. That's the idea of separate. That's, that's you and I as a ch- child of God. We've been set apart for a special use. And so God has, God has set us apart. We've set ourselves apart. But where are your lines? Where are your boundaries? How far? How far are you willing to go? What are, what are you willing to watch or not watch? What are you willing to listen to or not listen to? What are you willing to associate with or not associate? See, we all have to have those lines in our life and boundaries. And, and I love the story of Daniel because it was in his heart. And he said, I'm not going to defile myself. I don't care what Babylon says. I don't care what Nebuchadnezzar says. It's in my heart. So we want this agreement here between here and here so we can live for the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're going to live for God, aren't we? We're going to serve the Lord. Amen. It's, it's, it's got to get down deep and deep in our hearts. Praise the Lord. Amen. I think it's 1042. That went quick for me. You guys are probably sitting there like, "Ah, why don't we stand together? Amen. Love God. Love God. Amen. Love him. Get just the best way to live for the Lord was with everything that you got. And just go wholehearted into loving the Lord. Amen. Jesus, we pray for your help today. I pray for each one of us Ask you, O oh God, that you would, Lord, just plant a special thing in each one of us. Lord, a, a passion for your word, a passion, Lord, for a relationship with you. And help us, O oh God, to be faithful in our relationship.